0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 20th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with this week's news. The DWC has proposed a new revision to parts of the QME regulations. The proposed changes would limit a physician to a maximum of five QME office locations and up to five additional office locations in places where fewer than five QMEs are currently certified in the medical specialty. This proposal addresses a concern that QME assignments have become increasingly concentrated among a small number of QMEs who list more than 10 different locations available for evaluations. Although the total number of QMEs has ranged from three to over 5,000 members, only 31 QMEs wrote 10% of all reports. Almost 4% of QMEs listed 11 or more office locations, and (coughs) those QMEs received 39% of the panel assignments. The goal of the proposed revision is to provide more panel assignments to all providers interested in participating as QMEs. The new proposals would also require the physicians to comply with the applicable disability accommodation laws. It is interesting to notice what the DWC is not changing in these new proposed QME regulations. Last June, the WCAB issued their en bank decision in Mendoza versus Huntington Hospital, which declared portions of Section 30 of the QME regulations to be invalid Section 30 attempted to limit the right of an employer to obtain a QME evaluation after an injury was denied or after 90 days from the report of an injury. The new proposed regulations contain the same provisions in Section 30 that the Mendoza case found to be invalid. It's not clear why the WCAB is not proposing amendments to change Section 30 to comply with the holding in the Mendoza case. Comments on the proposed changes will be accepted by the DWC until 5 o'clock p.m. on September 29. Interested parties can mail in-depth comments to Division of Workers' Compensation, Post Office Box 420603, 420603, San Francisco 94142, Attention DWC Forums. Employers and carriers will be required to use the new workers' compensation forms and notices after October 8. To help meet this deadline, the California Workers' Compensation Institute has begun shipping approved copies of these new materials to their customers. Last month, the state amended the regulations governing the basic workers' compensation notices that employers must use to inform employees of their rights under the workers' compensation law. The revisions include the DWC-1 claim form and notice of potential eligibility, the new hire pamphlets, and the posting notices that must be displayed at California worksites. The changes also require new medical provider network notice requirements. Employers should continue to use current versions of the new hire pamphlets, posting notices, and claim forms until October 8, at which point those materials should be discarded and replaced with updated versions. CWCI updated its pamphlets and posting notices to comply with these changes and obtain the DWC approvals. They now have all of the materials in stock. Anyone who still needs to obtain the updated materials can visit www.cwci.org or call 510-251-9470. The Institute also plans to hold a one-day seminar on the new notice requirements and other recent regulatory changes next month. And now our fraud report. Rudy Ursua from Victorville was arrested by investigators from the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office for workers' compensation fraud. He was charged with a total of nine felony counts. Gallagher-Bassett Services and... The Employment Check, a private investigation firm, reported that Ursua fraudulently filed for workers' compensation benefits. He claimed that he injured his left elbow at work in 2008 when he stepped on some loose plumbing fittings that were on the floor. Benefits of over $15,000 were paid on this claim. The investigation then revealed that Ursua actually fell and fractured his left elbow while skateboarding at his girlfriend's house. Ursua denied under oath during his deposition that he was injured skateboarding and said that he hasn't skateboarded since 2003. Ursua was located and arrested by DA investigators while he was working at a Victorville McDonald's restaurant. He was transported and booked into the Sheriff's Victorville Jail, where he is being held in lieu of $50,000 bail. Vista City Councilman Frank Lopez and his wife, Mary, pled guilty to a misdemeanor for failing to pay workers' compensation premiums. Each must spend a day in jail, pay $12,000 in restitution, perform 120 hours of community service, and attend a payroll tax seminar. They were ordered to report to the Vista Jail on November 14. The misdemeanor is the only charge to come out of a year-long criminal investigation. The couple allegedly wrote bad payroll checks to their workers at Casa Linda Mexican Restaurant in Vista. Lopez is facing a recall threat from Vista residents who say he is unfit for public office. All four of the remaining city council members have called for him to resign. A felony conviction would have barred Lopez from serving on the council. The National Insurance Crime Bureau released a new report on 2010 questionable claims. Questionable claims are claims insurance companies refer to the organization for closer review and investigation based on one or more indicators of possible fraud. The Bureau is a national nonprofit organization exclusively dedicated to preventing, detecting, and defeating insurance fraud. The report examines five categories of claims in addition to workers' compensation. Overall, There was a 14% increase in questionable claims in four of the six categories. However, questionable claims in workers' comp declined 9% from last year. Only one category within workers' compensation claims showed an increase. False mileage reimbursement claim referrals were up by 100%. And in financial news, the state fund reported strong financial results in 2009, according to their financial statements published this month. Although net premium dropped 25%, net income almost doubled from $75 million to $143 million in 2009. The state fund posted an increase of $161 million to its policyholders' surplus and a jump in net investment income from $896 million two years ago to $912 million last year. The fund maintained a 75.3% loss ratio. Despite these favorable financial statistics, the report cautions that their numbers may be challenged in the future by a large inventory of open claims dating from 2001 to 2004. This is when the California's workers' compensation insurance market was in crisis after many carriers either became insolvent or left the market. During that time, state funds shouldered an unusually high market share. Although their current loss ratios are well above industry benchmarks, they expect them to come down over the next few years as they bring many of the older claims to resolution. However, the fund earned the highest financial rating from the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. In August, the WCIRB submitted a report to the California Insurance Commissioner recommending a 29.6% increase in premium rates. This week, the WCIRB Governing Committee lowered their recommendation to propose a 27.7% increase instead. The August filing also contains proposed changes to the standard classifications for consulting engineers, land surveyors, oil or gas geologists, and geophysical exploration. The WCIRB amended the filing to withdraw those proposed classification changes. A public hearing on the matters will be held on October 12 at 1 o'clock in the 22nd floor hearing room at 45 Fremont Street in San Francisco. The Fitch Rating Service has revised its sector outlook on the U.S. property and casualty insurance industry to stable from negative for both the commercial lines and personal lines sectors. The change in outlook reflects Fitch's view that the industry withstood the recent financial crisis reasonably well. While the property and casualty industry suffered reductions in capital in 2008, insurers benefited from the investment market recovery in 2009. Improved investment returns coupled with improvements in underwriting performance promoted a return to previous strong capital levels. Commercial line's premium rates continued to decline across nearly all segments reflective of excess market underwriting capacity. Accident-year combined ratios were over 100% in key casualty segments in 2009. And now our medical report. A new study shows that people taking opioid painkillers for extended periods of time are at greater risk of problems if they have been prescribed more potent forms of these drugs. The study also found that they were more likely to visit the emergency room for overdose, withdrawal, intoxication or other alcohol and drug related reasons if they had been previously diagnosed with a substance abuse disorder or if they reported having headaches or back pain. The report from the University of Washington School of Medicine claims that opioids are increasingly being used to treat chronic pain not related to cancer opioid abuse and deaths due to overdoses with prescription opiates are also on the rise. Researchers looked at data on over 38,000 patients. All of them had used prescription opioids for at least 90 days in a row for a six month period. Chronic back pain was the most common reason. A diagnosis of substance abuse disorder was the strongest predictor of a later visit to the emergency department. The type of drug a patient was prescribed also influenced risk. Most opioid drugs used to treat pain are DEA Schedule II or Schedule III drugs. The Schedule II drugs, such as morphine and OxyContin, have more potential for abuse than Schedule III medications, such as Vicodin or Tylenol III. People in the study who were taking Schedule II opioids were more likely to visit the emergency department than those on non-Schedule II drugs. Researchers added that people age 60 and older are much less likely to abuse opioids and are actually very worried about taking them. On the other hand, abuse is more likely amongst younger people. The study suggests that physicians avoid prescribing the higher-risk drugs to higher risk patients. And in other news, Intercare has hired Richard Rothman as executive vice president for business development. Intercare has offices in California, Washington, Nevada, and Texas. Rothman was formerly a managing director of Cambridge Integrated Services Group where he was responsible for the specialty divisions Rothman began his career in 1981 with Gallagher Bassett Services where over a 16-year period he rose from a loss control representative to Executive Vice President of Business and Development and ultimately to become a corporate officer. He brings nearly three decades of upper management, sales, and marketing leadership to his new position. He will report directly to George Mac McCleary, Intercare's CEO. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPod, your iPhone, or your iPad by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Karen, and Kelly. Thanks again for joining us, and please see us again next week for more news.